one of the first coaches that I had, uh, I think it was about eight years into the business where I was like, I, I've been winging it for the first eight years. Like, I'm sure there's plenty that I need to know. Um, and she was the one that encouraged me to start investing because I had about a year and a half worth of operating costs in the business. And she just said, you know, most businesses have three months, so you have way too much money, uh, which is a good problem to have as a business owner. But that encouraged me to start investing. And my first um, investment was a short-term rental in Florida that I bought when the dollar was at par. So I knew I'd make money. Um, you know, the dollar wasn't going to stay par forever and, and just was able to, to basically double my investment in four years. Hey, what's up everybody? Welcome to a brand new episode of the None of Your Business podcast. Sean and Lacey with you, just as we are each and every week. And just like each and every week, we have a very interesting topic to talk about today. I love this because our guest today uses a word that I use a lot and I get in trouble for. So mm. I'm, I'm really excited to dive into this. You know, our guest wrote a book, The Accidental entrepreneur right that's in the title the, the, you can't what I, get what in I'm trouble really, for entrepreneur what, I, what i'm really focused so. in on is the accidental exactly part <laughs> because i talk about a lot how a lot of people are successful by accident but i think listen if you are an accidental entrepreneur i don't think you're writing a book about how you were an accidental failure that means right. that today's guest got into it kind of backdoor fell into it and then obviously found success and oftentimes, you know, that's what this podcast is all about, because we don't want you to be accidentally successful. And there are plenty of people out there that find success by accident. And then the really smart ones realize it. They're not mad. They're like people, the, the not so smart ones, they get mad at me because I say, I think you got successful by accident. And that's not a knock. It's like saying, hey, it would be smarter if we could begin to systematize, if we begin to put things into place so that we can do these things purposefully and get a purposeful outcome, not an accidental outcome, that would be true success. And today's guest is going to have even more to say about that because today's guest has also found her way into real estate investing, which is another place where a lot of people are accidentally successful because somebody said you should get into real estate and boom, there they were, but they're not really sure. A couple of deals went their way and there they are. Other people are like, listen, I want to know the ins and outs. I want to put this together and I don't want to be accidentally successful. So I'm super excited about today's guest. Her name is Serena Holmes. Let's bring her into the podcast. Serena, welcome to the None of Your Business podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. We always begin with the exact same question for every guest. And I have a feeling that your answer is going to be intriguing for a lot of us. You know, most of us that listen to the podcast watch uh, the podcast on, on, on the video platforms. We are service-based entrepreneurs. We provide a service. We're super excited about what we offer the world. And we bring on guests that speak to them about different elements of success and how they can apply these in their business. One of the things that we've noticed is that we bring on guests and oftentimes it seems like, because if you've written a book, 
or if you're interviewed on a lot of podcasts, it seems like, well, that's because you are fortunate, you're blessed, you had help. And what we have found is that's very infrequently the case. So I wanna begin by asking you, tell us a little bit about your creation story. And especially I noticed you know, with the title of your book, you know, the, the tragic part of it. So we already know if there's tragedy involved, then it wasn't just handed to you. But tell us a little bit about that bumpy road and how you arrive where you are today. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the op opening line in my book is actually, I was born with a silver spoon in my mouth, but it tarnished. So that can kind of give you a general idea of how things started. You know, I was born into a family, everything was pretty normal. And then my dad left my mom when I was uh, four and a half, five years old. And then um, my brother went to go live with my uh, dad and my stepmom about a year later, and he actually died in a tragic accident, <clears throat> probably about six weeks after he uh, moved in with them. And that was largely just due to their own negligence, like he was left home alone uh, on more than one occasion. And he got into trouble with a riding lawnmower that he basically turned the wrong way and it flipped on a hill and landed on top of him. So um, you can just imagine like that obviously was very devastating for our family and you know, experienced a lot of challenges uh, from that point forward, where I was living with my mom, lived with my dad, lived with an aunt and uncle, an ex-boyfriend, you know, bounced all around and um, ended up going to school for journalism. But just to make ends meet, I ended up getting introduced to the world of events and basically ended up working uh, for multiple different promotions companies part time. And then when I came out of school, that's ultimately what my career ended up being a part of. <laughs> so I was offered an opportunity to be a brand ambassador with a brand new agency was offered a, a management opportunity shortly after that led into partnership six months after that. And then the woman that founded the company actually left four years in and I was basically faced with the decision to either buy her out or we would close the business down or potentially shop it around to other agencies. So that's kind of how it became like an accident. <laughs> <laughs> it really was like truly an accident. We say that all the time, like it fell in your lap, but obviously you were prepared and equipped to take that business over. So tell us a little bit about obviously moving from growing this business, being an entrepreneur, and then moving into real estate. I mean, so you've made multiple transitions in your career and in your life. Yeah. Yeah. So when I was brought in, uh, the woman that ran the business was very much like the face of the business. Like she was out there hustling, like landing clients, uh, recruiting talent and stuff like that. And she wanted to bring me in uh, for operations. So, you know, having worked events throughout university, I had a good understanding of what other brand ambassadors were looking for. So making sure they were paid on time, making sure they were educated on the event properly and just preparing things. You know, I didn't necessarily have a background in staffing and scheduling and planning events and stuff like that. But I guess she saw something in me that she thought would be a good fit. Um, and then obviously she left the business four years in. So then I had to adapt to, you know, having the sales and, and filling up with repeat clients and stuff like that. But because I had four years already within the business, like I, I had learned a lot at that point. We had a lot of repeat clients and stuff like that, um, you know, continue to, to build the business through coaching and mentorship. Um, we started doing a lot of online SEO back in 2012, and that was really transformative for our business, just growing and bringing in new clients and stuff like that. But one of the first coaches that I had, uh, I think it was about eight years into the business where I was like, I, I've been winging it for the first eight years. Like, I'm sure there's plenty that I need to know. Um, and she was the one that encouraged me to start investing because I had about a year and a half worth of operating costs in the business. And she just said, you know, most businesses have three months, so you have way too much money. 
which is a good problem to have as a business owner. But that encouraged me to start investing. And my first um, investment was a short-term rental in Florida that I bought when the dollar was at par. So I knew I'd make money. Um, you know, the dollar wasn't going to stay par forever, and and just was able to to basically double my investment in four years. Wait, I have a question before Sean goes into his, because I think this is really important. Like you had somebody that said to you, you have too much money in your bank account for operating costs. And we coach a lot of clients and we run into this and we're like, what in what world do you think that you need a half a million dollars sitting in your bank account? Like your business gets so far away from you and you can't, you are like need $500,000 in order to get it floating again. And there's so much resistance for them to take that money and utilize it for something else because of that fear behind, but that's what I need. I feel secure with it. So how did you feel when she said that to you? And were you willing like right away to take that leap? Did you need some convincing? Tell me a little bit about that process because I think that's a really interesting part of your story. Yeah, well, I mean, I think that I wasn't just going to go down to three months. Like with the nature of our business, oftentimes we have to pay our staff, like we're floating costs and stuff like that. So I think I ended up going down to eight months or something like that. And then basically how I funded the property was that I got um, a home equity line of credit on my house that paid for, you know, a little less than half. I took a short-term loan from the business. And then I also used my um, tax-free savings account, which is a vehicle here in Canada. And then just over time, you know, paid down the line of credit over two years, repaid the business loan, and then just kept paying off the HELOC. So basically the property was paid off in full, within four years, but I just tried to be creative, just knowing like how to handle things. Um, I didn't know anything about real estate investing then. So if I could have done it all over again, I probably would have just gone into multifamily. Um, but again, you don't know what you don't know. So it was just at the time that seemed like the best solution. Like I didn't have to mortgage anything. I could buy it creatively for cash because I couldn't qualify for financing in either country really. So I had to come up with a plan to do that. But um, I just, yeah, I don't think she really had to twist my arm, but I was always careful. Like I was never going to go down to two, three months because I wouldn't want to leave myself that short. I just tried to take what I thought I could use and then come up with the rest. Nice. Love it. So let's talk a little bit about this transition. Um, the accidental entrepreneur, we have the event-based business. Um, yeah. Maybe you would agree or disagree that accidentally- Real estate investor? Well, accidentally <laughs> successful, right? Like obviously you got great mentorship. You had great guidance. The founder was there, but then the founder- they're just like, all right, I'm not doing this. Not, not that you were like, well, I know exactly what I'm doing. So you had to learn your way through that. For me, that's the accidental part. Yeah. Doing super well, but, but accidentally. Thankfully, you have great mentorship again. They're like, listen, that's what we call the new zero, Serena. So even I love you saying like, well, I went down to eight. Love it. Because to me, whether it's eight, three, it's really about a comfort zone. And it's like, security. And feeling, what happens yeah. is, you know, I'm sure, you know, like you just explained the financing on, on the real estate side. There's so many times that we shoestring these things together and we don't really realize it at the moment, moment but we're kind of living by the seat of our pants. Yeah. And then in other areas of our life, you have this extremely successful business, but then there is a, a sense of security as long as I have three months or eight months or maybe even a year and a half worth of operating expenses that are set aside. It's a comfort yeah. level, right? And we just, we get, begin to learn what makes us comfortable. We reset that for you. There was yeah. a time when a, a year and a half of operating expenses represented zero right. in your, in your operating account. And when it went below, you use it. Yeah. if you only had 10 months, you probably felt a little bit panic, right? I want to talk though the next 
piece, the transition. How do you go from, so you're doing this, you start investing in real estate, but then you really get into real estate sort of full-fledged. How does that happen where we go from events to, I bought this, uh, this, this, this real estate investment to, hey, let me really learn this business. Yeah. Uh, so I guess back in, I sold the property that I first bought in 2013, full circle 2017. And then I didn't know what to do. I was like, okay, I, I sold the business or sorry, I sold the, the property and I just wasn't really sure what to do next. So I actually ended up paying off my mortgage. So then the good thing is that I had this very big home equity line of credit. Um, our house was reappraised and, you know, I went from maybe 150,000 to I think 655,000. And then at the same time, we also had a particular client that we did a lot of work with and we, you know, collected a very big sum of money. Like we went from, um, it was supposed to be a three day event that was 40,000. It went on for five months continuously and the bill went up to about 700,000. So I ended up with this little nest egg of maybe 250,000 over and above the operating costs I needed that I wanted to invest with. And I just didn't know what to do. Um, we started staffing events for a real estate education company and, um, you know, I just, I guess they got put on my radar and then I ended up going to their wealth tour in Toronto a few months later, kind of got sucked into their system, went to their first investor summit with a plan that I knew I wanted to put some of the money in my home equity line to use, as well as the cash that I wanted to put to use. So I bought two pre-construction properties. I invested in a land development deal and three syndicated mortgages, and then was also introduced to private lending. So then I was able to kind of dial that up when I was ready to start my family, where I wanted to, you know, leave as much money as I could in the business, but I wanted to make sure I had passive income coming in to replace it. So the private lending was really the vehicle that I was able to use to, to do that with. And then the pandemic hit. So I, you know, my event company was quite big and busy. There was 10 of us full-time. We had about 2,200 part-time between Canada and the US. And then the pandemic hit. So we had probably about 500,000 in our pipeline, or sorry, 500,000 booked business that just disappeared and about a million in our pipeline, just like in a matter of days, like everything was gone. Um, so I just made decisions very, very quickly. So I basically ended up letting my whole head office team go except for one person. And I only kept her because my daughter was three months old at the time. And I just wanted to make sure I had support that when we could run events, I had someone available to do so. And, you know, for us here in Toronto, we were very locked down on and off over that course of two years. But it was about six months, uh, I guess, three months into the pandemic. My daughter was six months old and I had two goals. So I registered for my real estate license because it was complementary to all of my other investing. And then I also wanted to get my book published. So I'd written it a couple of years prior and I just hit a wall when it came to publishing. So you know, I do my real estate course, take a break, work on editing, and then just go back and forth. And then at the end of that year, um, the book was out and published and ready to go. And I also had my license. And tell us a little bit too. So do you still have the event company or did you make a decision to eventually move fully into real estate? Yeah, I guess I should mention that. <laughs> well, I actually ended up listing it to sell just a couple of weeks before we went into lockdown. Um, the girl that I had promoted to be my mat leave replacement that I'd had for six years actually resigned when my daughter was two months old. So I had a bit of a panic attack. <laughs> I was like, how am I going to yeah. run this company? And I basically hired a mergers and acquisitions company and they listed it, had a buyer lined up, but then again, we went into lockdown. So basically my goal was just to keep it running to get through the end of it. So it was worth something to sell at the end. Um, and I think I knew like, especially having my daughter, like I didn't want to work at the pace that I'd been working for the last like 
you know, almost 20 years. Um, and then basically the girl that I had kept throughout all of this resigned a year ago last January. And I went back to the merger, mergers and acquisitions company. And I just said, like, you've had two years to sell this hasn't been successful. And now my back's against the wall. Like I, my one employee has gone, my head office I've let go of, you know, I don't see myself trying to build it back up to what it once was. So I got a release and I just reached out to 15 agencies in kind of our community here in Toronto. And I had six that were interested and I had got four offers and I had it sold in like two weeks and we closed on Valentine's two weeks after that. <laughs> so. Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And how about that? Just doing it by yourself. I know. Proved to be <laughs> yeah. way better than working yeah. with the big guys. Yeah. Um, you talk a lot about some things that are very interesting to our audience. I know well, multifamily, yeah. hard money lending, mm -hmm. um, passive income. Give us just a little bit now, now so I'm asking you to switch hats with your expertise. Um, because a couple of things you said and, and want to make sure you completely understand you are very much welcome to, to disagree with us. You can be like, well, then I want to go back to the accidental part, but they're welcome <laughs> to say that as well. Um, but so you said, well, listen, my goal was I got into, into, into hard money lending and I saw that as, you know, a possibility to create passive yeah. income. And one of the things that I, um, am always cautioning others about is I agree that for Serena, that can become very passive, but if you do not know what you are doing, this can be very active yeah. and can cost you money if you don't know what's going and on. So much time. <laughs> so you're saying in hindsight, you would have done multifamily. Give us sort of going back, but also in hindsight, what are some things that you wish you knew that would have helped to accelerate this process? Because no doubt everybody is interested in investing in real estate, but most people just don't know where to get started, how to do it. They started, it's not yeah. that passive. They're doing yeah. all this work. Help us out there. Okay. So I guess first off with the short-term rental. So when I bought it, my realtors had said, you know, you're going to have this booked all but nine weeks of the year. And then what actually ended up happening is that we only had it booked three months of the year because we were only really getting seniors in from January to March. Um, so really like it wasn't profitable. In fact, it was taking a loss probably year over year. And I was just paying it off with money that I had from my business. So knowing that it wasn't profitable, it didn't make sense to keep it in the long run. It's not like I just wanted to have a vacation property for my own use, where I think if I went into multifamily, um, it would be something I would probably still have today that I could keep refinancing and then using that money to roll into future investments. It was good in the sense that I was still profitable and I sold, I paid off my mortgage, you know, after 10 years, I was, you know, financially free in that way when I was 35 years old. So I think all of that was good but it would still be nice to have been able to grow my portfolio from the very, very beginning instead of like buying and selling and buying and selling and stuff like that. But I just didn't understand um, that when you are buying commercial, meaning five doors and above, that you're not, your personal income isn't qualifying for it. It's the actual income of the property. So there's a lot about multifamily or the different markets that are very, very profitable here in Canada, as opposed to where I live in the GTA and in Toronto, it's very expensive. So a lot of that stuff I didn't understand. Um, my general rule of thumb, uh, going to your point about the hard money lending is that I generally don't include any more than 50,000 per deal. So I try to insulate my risk by doing a lot of loans, but at a, a lower amount. So I usually do the minimums. They tend to be 50,000 a deal. Sometimes I've done 100,000 per borrower secured on two separate properties. But back when I started doing this, the home line of credit rates were only 3% and I was loaning out at 15, 16%. And then even now with the rates going up, like 
the average loan I'm doing is 16 to 18%. Um, I've done, I've signed off, I think, on 60 deals in the last five years. I have a few more that are renewing now. Um, I'm experiencing now my very first issue with a repeat borrower where I've had three or four times that he's um, late on his first payment. So basically, like a demand letter has gone out and I've put a lien on the property that it was listed in the agreement. So it doesn't mean there's no risk, but out of 60, that's the first time I've really experienced an issue with a payment actually not coming in. So I think for the most part, I've tried to be very careful with who I'm lending to. I do a lot of due diligence, like even in this particular situation, um, the property that was listed, when I looked it up on Geo Warehouse, which is a tool we have here, I saw that he wasn't even on title for it. He listed his parents' property. So I got their identification, they were added to the loan. So basically like now everything is going out to them. So I do have leverage. It's not like, it's just like he can disappear with the money and stuff like that. But you know, it's not like if I, it's going to bankrupt me. So that's generally been my approach to it. And I just try to work with people that have proven reputations. Like right now it's a lot of real estate investors, uh, where initially was you know, through the mortgage broker. It could be random, like someone that needs a bridge loan to close on a mortgage. It could be for a business where now it's gotten a little bit more real estate investing focused in the last year, especially. Well, I want to ask, I mean, I, and I love that personally, I love that. Um, where did you learn that? Did you? I was you, just going to ask. Where yeah, would you tell somebody yeah, to you, get started? If how you did you know? Because because yeah. that's that's not typical. Right. What you just described. Because most people, especially in hard money, like <laughs> wow, 17 Let's just do like you know two hundred fifty thousand. Let's just be these right. big they deals. Don't dilute their risk. Um, yeah. So how did who who how did you learn to 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 insulate yourself by doing the smaller deals? Well, I think from my very first experience when I went to that investor summit, I did three syndicated mortgages. And at the time I used half of my home equity line. So I used about 335,000 between the three deals and they were set up so that the interest was paid half of it up front monthly and half at the back end when it matures. And I laddered them with like a 12 month term an 18 month term and a 24 month term. And out of those three deals, one and a half of them have been very significantly delayed. So we're sitting at five years. <laughs> uh, so basically I'm still getting interest payments, but my principal has been locked up for all of that time. So I think I learned just from that experience not to put so much money in any one deal, just because there's always a possibility that things can go like longer than planned. And I would never touch anything with the split interest again. So for me, that was kind of like a learning early on. Um, even when I talk to people about that, just to do like lower amounts, because it's better to have, say, 10 deals at lower amounts and two deals at a higher amount, because if something goes wrong, like that can have a much larger impact. But then I'll talk to people and they're like, oh, I was going to do this one deal at 200,000. I'm like, well, is that all you have? And they're like, yeah. I'm like, well, why wouldn't you do four deals at 50? You know what right. I mean? Like, I think you would, I would just spread things around, like never put all your eggs in one basket. Right. So even though I've, I've said that over and over again, and I talk to people, like sometimes people might like go drop 500,000, but if that's all you have, like that would be devastating if you lost it. Right. So I think you just have to be, you know, you take risks, but you take calculated risks and try to approach it that way. Uh, the other thing I would say is, so you obviously said that you were in the pandemic and you decided to get your real estate license because it was advantageous for you and all of the things that you were doing. Would you recommend that everybody that's getting into investing or doing hard money lending or anything like that would go and get their license or would they work with somebody else specifically? Yeah, I mean, not necessarily. Sarahly, like, I mean, my business was B2B, so I was used to working with corporate clients. And what I will say is that when you're working as a residential realtor, it's far more emotional. Like I've had some clients yeah. that are 
you know, really great. And then other clients, it really made me question whether I should have even gotten my license. Um, but yeah. what I'm trying to do is find opportunities to be more investor focused. So I'm going to be taking some courses on land development to identify opportunities that ideally I can sell through to investors and focus more on the commercial side. So it will be more of that B2B feel than more like the B2C working with residential clients. So I think I just need to be very um, careful with like the clients that I take on just so they're not a drain on my time or they're not not a waste or something like that because it has been a bit of a, a different experience than I would have expected before I got the license. But as a, a lender, it is helpful to have access to some of the tools that I wouldn't have otherwise. So it just depends on what you want. There's obviously a carrying cost to keep your license, especially like here in Ontario, like you're looking at a lot of registration fees and association fees and dues. So it doesn't come without a cost. So you do want to make sure you're at least covering those costs if you're going to have it. Are all of your investments in Canada currently? Right now. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think all of them are right now. And I wouldn't so, be opposed to the States because a lot of people are going down there because the cap rates and the property values are a lot more attractive than they are here. Like, you know, you can barely buy a townhouse here for a million dollars. So um, definitely awesome. like some markets, you just have to understand, I think, how to set yourself up from, um, you know, the tax perspective and the legal perspective and stuff like that. Well, especially right there in Toronto, I'm I'm sure that that market's out of control. And that that would be my next my next question. Um, with all of your experience, um, you know, with your own personal experience, professional experience, um, there is no ability to predict the future. But I'd love to get your take. What do you think is happening in the markets, both locally for you in Canada and internationally? What are you kind of seeing? Um, hard money lending kind of ebbs and flows, and and that's a that's a, has a lot to do about timing of the market. So I'd be yeah. interested to kind of hear your perspective on that. Yeah, well, I think for us here, the thing you're hearing across the board is just this housing supply shortage. So that's just something that we're hearing constantly. And that's a big driver behind the prices that even if the mortgage rates like have gone up, we've had, I think, 12 interest rate increases since April of last year and prices went down very briefly. And now they're right back up. They're actually higher now by 16 and a half percent than they were the same month last year. So I think that the supply issue is going to be an ongoing thing to keep continue driving prices up. But I think the issue is that by continuing to increase interest rates, they think they're curbing inflation, but it's also holding builders back from moving forward. And it's actually slowing down the progress that you need to see. Um, the other thing it's slowing down are a lot of the commercial refis. So right now, for example, I have various private loans set up through a mortgage brokerage and they're doing a lot of commercial refinancing. And as a result, it's just created this big cash crunch for some of their investors and stuff like that. So they're hosting podcasts regularly. Uh, or webinars, I should say, just with the different borrowers, just to make sure we understand the scope of their portfolio and what's happening. Um, in that instance, they have NSF fees. So if a payment's even a couple of days late as the lender, you actually make more money from it. So I think real estate investors across the board are just not expecting some of the delays with the refinancing that they've had. And, you know, it's all kind of connected, like a refinance that should have taken two months is taking like nine and 10 months. So if they're expecting to get that money back in a certain period of time and it's taking longer, then it's just created all these ripple effects, I guess you could say. That's uh, very true. And it's it's not just there. It's, right. it's, it's here. It's, but it's also linked yeah, it's... in not just real estate, but then it's linked in all of the other sectors, right? It's the same kind of thing where we're playing this delicate balance mm -hmm. of trying to trying to reel it in for the people, for the, for the general population, but 
you know, like Serena says, the ripple effect, it, it just, it affects so many things, food supply, yeah. price of, of, you know, groceries, all, all everything. everything gets yeah. impacted by this. Uh, Serena, absolutely fascinating stuff. It's very clear that you definitely know what you're talking about for every person that is inspired by this conversation. How can people get in touch with you? How should they connect with you? How and can get they the find book out too. more? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess the easiest thing, I, I do have a number of different profiles on social media, but if you go to Serena Holmes Realtor, I do have a link tree and it has access to the book. I have a podcast that I launched called Inspired to Invest uh, just recently, actually. And then it also has like anything and everything else that you would want to find there. So connect on social media. Be sure that you jump on her podcast. That sounds awesome. Get a copy of the book. It's available on Amazon, The Accidental Entrepreneur. She's already passed that. She's, that's not her jam, but it could it's be your jam. It could now. be your yeah. thing that you you might want to grab a copy of the book. Serena, thank you so much for sharing your story and your knowledge here on the None of Your Business podcast. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. Well, this was an amazing episode. I don't know how we're going to do it, but we'll give it a shot. We'll have to try and top it next week. We're going to have to really scratch and claw Serena was absolutely amazing. Be sure you tell your friends about the None of Your Business podcast. Be sure that you subscribe on your favorite platform. And hey, give us a review. Let us know what you think about the podcast. Lacey and I will be back again next week with a brand new guest. Don't miss it. We can't wait to see you.